Infidelity is not just a physical, behavioral dynamic. It is more than something that happens at a secret place at a certain time. It is many times less than an actual physical involvement, but is nonetheless just as damaging, just as telling on any relationship. If you will turn with me to the book of Hosea, if you have your scriptures with you this morning, and I will point to one of the obvious examples where God uses a physical relationship to teach a spiritual truth. Hosea, as many of you know, was an Old Testament prophet married to a trollop. This was a woman who was serially unfaithful in a physical sense to him. Her name was Gomer. And he, God, went to Hosea, went to all of the nation and said, you know, that's like me and the nation Israel. We are covenanted together and, and Israel continues to whore after other gods, continues to be unfaithful to me. And then in the second chapter, in, in using this marriage as a metaphor, he goes to the remnant in Israel that, that still remains uh, faithful, that still says to the mother organization, to the institution Israel, what is right and what is good and what was original. He goes to them and he says this, Say to your brothers, Ami, which means my people. He has just gotten done in the first chapter calling them Loami, which means not my people. And to your sisters, Ruhamah, he has just gotten done calling them Lo Ruhamah, which means not of my compassion or not pitiable. But he says, say to your sisters, Ruhamah, those obtaining mercy, to contend with your mother. In other words, he's going to those who have just gotten fresh into the movement. And he has said, you know, you remember what it's all about. They've been in this thing so long, they've institutionalized it. They've routinized it. They've ritualized it. You have a duty. Church, let me tell you this. You have a duty, especially those who have just come to Christ, who are so on fire for Him, who are so in love with Him, who still have their whole lives turned upside down by Him. You have a duty to the institutional church when you see us missing the boat to come to us and to contend with us and say to us, you know what, you're missing the point. You're playing church and you're not serving the Lord. You're playing church and you're not helping people. You're missing the point. You have a duty. God would say to you, come, contend with your mother. And look what it says. Contend with your mother, contend, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. Let her put away her harlotry from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. Back then, a harlot, a prostitute, would paint her face to look attractive. You know, that life is very hard on you. Unfaithfulness is always hard on you. And it's more and more difficult to look attractive. And so 
the more difficult it becomes, the more paint you use. Tell her, it says, to put harlotry away from her face, her adultery from between her breasts. They, they wore uh, jewelry to make them attractive. If I could just talk very plainly with many of you today, I see so many young people, teenagers, uh, single people, dressing in very provocative, seductive ways. Don't do that. Don't do that. Put harlotry away from your face and adultery from between your breasts. I know that you think there may be some value in being attractive generally. There is not. You're not looking for that, believe me. And then he says, lest I strip her naked and expose her as on the day she was born. That's where we get the, the phrase, naked as the day I was born. I will also make her like a wilderness, make her desert like a land, and slay her with thirst. For those of you who have been sexually active outside of God's boundaries, you know that to be a description of the sense of what that's like. Gratifying for just one moment, and afterwise, very empty very desert-like. For their mother has played the harlot who conceived them as she acted shamefully, for she said, now here's the reason that we are unfaithful. I will go after my lovers who give me bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. We go after our lovers. We are unfaithful because we see, we think we see some prophet out there that we can't get with the one who God gave us. We go after other gods because we see some prophet that we don't think we can get from the God. There are many commentators who say, well, they were talking here about Israel trading with uh, uh, other nations to gain uh, uh, commercially. If America was a Christian nation, if we turned our back away from the violation of simple human rights in order just to profit, that would be an application of this scripture. But there are many more commentators who say, no, these are people who are literally going after idols in their lives, and I'll talk about idolatry next week, going after idols in their lives because they think those, there's a bigger payoff there than there is in just sticking with Yahweh God. But whatever the application, the application certainly comes down to this, that we are traitors to those we love most because we seem to seek some profit that we don't think we can get there. Let me talk to you just for a moment about the variant forms of unfaithfulness. Because so many of us are being unfaithful, and we have a sense of it, but we never fully face it because we may not have been physically unfaithful. And if we are unfaithful to our families, we will certainly be unfaithful to our God. Because the Bible says, if you cannot love someone who you have seen, how can you pretend to love somebody who you have not seen? So our relationships with each other are very important in our practical theology. There is a gear in us, in all of us, that will let go if we see a prophet someplace else. 
We need to admit that right up front. That's part of our original sin. The Bible says, no temptation has faced you, but as such as is common to man. And they're talking, in, in infidelity, they're talking about something that's common to us all. It's something that's in our hearts, that's conceived inside of us, this, this profit motive that is inside of us before we ever act physically. As a matter of fact, James 1.15 has a description of that. And it says, but each one is tempted when, I'm sorry, carried away and enticed by his own lust. This is uh, verse 14. And by the way, that's, a, that's an ongoing verb tense. That's a present participle. And it means you continue to be tempted and carried away by your own lust. And it describes this in verse 15. Then when lust has been conceived, it gives birth to sin. In other words, it's conceived inside of us. There's always a switch in us that will trade in those we love most if we see a prophet someplace else. I heard an old joke one time. When I was first coming into ministry, this has got to be 25 years old. I'm sure most of you have heard it. Uh, and it's, it's, it's not all that funny, but, it's, but it, uh, it uh, uh, illustrates the point well. It seems that um, um, a small country congregation wanted to build a church out in the farmland, and somebody gave them some land. And so they went to this carpenter, and they said, you know, if you will build this church for us, this little beautiful white frame church, then we're going to have to start, we'll, have, we'll start having church, and we'll start taking up collections, and we'll pay you from those collections. And so they went to this uh, well-meaning and, and uh, nice uh, carpenter, and he said, okay, I'll do that. And so he built this beautiful little church. Well, sure enough, uh, they began meeting there, and the congregation was there, and they gave their offerings, you know. But, but there are expenses, uh, ongoing expenses to a church, and so they were spending all of their money on these ongoing expenses and not paying a carpenter. Well, they got disturbed with them, and this is way before uh, anybody would ever even think of suing a church. You know, this is back in the old days. You didn't do that. And so, so he was trying to figure out how he could get his money. Well, he, he, he hit on a scheme he wasn't very proud of, but he thought it would be effective. What he was going to do is he was going to dress up in a devil's suit, and, and on a Sunday morning, after they had taken up the collection, he was going to climb in that back window they had, scare them all out of the church, and then just take some of his money out of the collection because it was his anyhow, and he just figured he'd get the, some money that way, at least get a payment. You know, so uh, next week, sure enough, he, he, he puts on this devil suit, pretty good devil suit, and he's got chains with him, and he, he, knows, he knows the ins and outs. He built the place. So he crawls in, and right after they've taken the collection, they're singing their hymn. You know, he comes in, and he starts making these awful noises, dragging these chains. Everybody's scared to death. Gets up, stampedes out of there. Except for one little, poor little old lady been knocked down in the stampede, you know, and she's you know, kind of disoriented and everything. He said, he's thinking to himself, man, I got to scare her out of here. You know, she can't see me taking this. So he comes up, he's making these awful sounds, dragging this, rattling the chains, you know. She gets up. She looks at him. She goes, now wait, hold it right there, Mr. Devil. You just hold it right there. She says, my name's Louise May Cassidy. She said, I've been a member of this church for 50-some years. She said, I, I taught Sunday school in this congregation for, for 48 years of them. She said, you know what? I've probably baked more pies for the church socials when we were meeting all around and having our church, you know, than any other person in this church. 
but I've been on your side all the time. <laughs> see, the point is that if, if you see a little prophet or you get a little scared, it doesn't matter how much you've done behaviorally. You tend to kind of turn it in, don't you? You, you tend to kind of, we've all got that switch. We've all got that switch. It's something inside. And just as we can't get to heaven by improving our behavior, neither can we stick to our behavior in defining sin. We've got to go deeper than that. It's a matter of relationship. Christ himself did not define adultery in matters of physical um, 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 behavior. He knew that we all had this tendency when things get tough, and all of us do, to wander away. We sing that, sword, uh, that song, you know, uh, oh, my heart prone to wander, prone to lead, leave the one I love. And that's exactly what we do. We wander. And, and it says in John 6, 6, 6, I love that scripture reference. It talks about Jesus, you know, and how things got tough for the disciples. Because Jesus had just gone through a whole demonstration of how, they, you know, some of you are in relationships and you feel like you're the one that gives all the time. And you know what? You may well be. But you know what the definition of a Christian is? One who gives all the time. And, and, and the disciples had just heard that. You know, they'd heard about, you know, the, the shed blood of Christ and, you know, they knew they were supposed to be like him and he poured his life out and they were supposed to pour their life out. And John 6, 6, 6 said they all started to leave, you know? They all started to leave. That's our habit. Our habit is to, is to, is to go to some place of profit. That was, the, that was the habit of Gomer. I'll go out and, and get practical goods from other people. That was the, that was the habit of... Uh, uh, Salome, who had, who, had, who had lived with two adulterous parents. And so she had learned very early how to use her body in a suggestive dance to get exactly what she wanted, to get some particular thing she wanted. Only it was evil, and everybody could see it was evil, but she didn't care. But there were people like Henry VIII who learned to use uh, this trading relationship thing to get what he thought was a good thing, an heir for, for the throne. And so there are, there, are, there are ways you can justify what you've done because you think it's a, it's a practical necessity for the welfare of all. And then there are just people like Madonna who just generally want to promote uh, lust for the purposes of profit. She sang a song called Material Girl. And that's exactly the world she lives in. But you, who are Christians, don't live in that world. Or you don't live of that world. And so all of us need to, to find this switch and give it to Christ. All of us need to know that, that, that the, the subtle things in our life, they're not a matter of physical. As a matter of fact, it says in Matthew chapter 5, Verses 28 and 27. Jesus didn't define adultery just in physical terms. He said, he said this, 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her 
in order to lust for her. See, this is a nurse thing. This is an intentional thing. In order to lust for her, has committed adultery with her already in his heart. You know what a lot of people do with that verse? This is perverted, but you, this is what a lot of people do. People say, well, I know Jesus says to think it's just as bad as doing it, so I might as well do it because I've thought of now that is, don't do that. You, you know, you know better. Don't do that. This is, this is what he's saying. This is, he's saying, no, that's a whole different degree. But it's not a different category. When we nurse fantasies about other people, then that is a matter of being unfaithful. Many of you right now have somebody in, in your life you have a crush on. And nobody knows about it. No, it's just your private deal. Your spouse doesn't know about it. You'd never tell your spouse because it would hurt their feelings. And it may not even be totally sexual. It may not be sexual at all. You just have a crush on them. You know? You nurse that fantasy that maybe someday they would reciprocate your feelings, although you know there's probably not one chance in a million of that. That even increases your fantasy life because you think it's safe. Well, it may be safe in a physical sense, but it is not safe in a spiritual sense. That's being unfaithful to your partner. There was a book uh, years ago uh, written, uh, not a Christian book, a psychology book called Love and Limerence. And that's exactly what it talked about. This dynamic in so many people of being infatuated with somebody and just having this kind of ongoing spiritual uh, uh, or emotional uh, crush, attachment, preoccupation. That is being unfaithful. There's another sense in which we're unfaithful. When you see just what you saw in this sketch today, when we kind of belittle one another, belittle those that God has given us to honor so that we can come out looking better. We see that in Matthew chapter 25, verses 24 and 25. We see that dynamic when the master symbolic of God, symbolic of Christ, had given his servants different talents. And the servant who received one talent started slamming the giver of the talents. This is amazing to me. He says in chapter 24, or in verse 24, he says, and the one who had received the one talent, came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid, and went away and hid your talent in the ground. And see, you have what is yours. Now, where did he get off berating his master who had given him that? Where do we get off berating the people who have given us their lives, who have loved us? How many of you, in the right situation, Men, when you're with other men, make fun of women, including your wife. You know what? You're being unfaithful. I know it's all in good humor. I know it's all in good humor. Some of you do it in public ways. Men do it for, women do it for men, including their husbands. I used to know a woman who wore a T-shirt around, said, the more I know about men, the more I like my dog. <laughs> I, 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 I got to wonder how that made her husband feel. Years later, they got divorced. I don't know how many of you men have a license plate that says something like, you know, or a bumper sticker that says something like, you know, my wife said it was, you know, 
I had to give up fishing or give her up, and I, I miss her sometimes. I don't, know, I don't know how many of you have a bumper sticker like that, but I've seen so many of those around. You know what? You're being unfaithful because you are in a way for the sake of, of, of kidding around, for the sake of, of, of coming out ahead in other people's eyes. How many, how many of you have just told something or made something public that was really private, just between you two. That's what makes for intimacy, by the way. It's just stuff just between you two that you'd never tell anybody else. How many of you have taken in a social situation and, 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 and made something like that public? That's being unfaithful. You know you can be unfaithful to your kids. How many of you, how many of you parents have teenagers and go around griping about teenagers? Do you really think they can't hear that? Do you really think that never gets back to them? And they won't fulfill your gripes? How many of you have small kids and just are disgusted with having small kids? And, you know, I got, two, I, got a two, I got five kids under 10, you know? And you're just disgusted. Listen, when you take that and put it as a public burden, you have just been unfaithful to the people that God has given you. Do you understand what I'm talking about? The ways in which, let me, let me confess something uh, here just personally. Let me tell you what I did a couple of weeks ago, just as an example. I do this too, and, and I really, man, I want the character of Christ in this. But I, we've, got, we've got, you know, guys that have pretty tight, you know, uh, confines on them. And that's good because hardly any of our boys have boundaries of their own, you know. So their, their mom uh, helps us all set Now, I don't have boundaries. I've never had boundaries. I, I, uh, you know, moral boundaries, yes, but not safety boundaries. And so mom helps set those. And we've got a, our middle son's a pastor um, and, uh, over in uh, Tuscawilla, and, and, and he's home from college this summer, and, and every once in a while he just wants to go out and stay all night and fish, you know. Now, I don't have a doubt in my mind that, that he would never do anything morally wrong. I do have some safety doubts. I, do, I just don't think he has any boundaries. I don't think he... So, so, and his mother feels better when he's in bed at night, you know? And uh, so, you know, he comes to me and says, you know, Dad, I want to go out and fish all night. You know, and I say, well, son, you know how women are. I say, now, if it was me, I'd let you, you know? <laughs> But, but your mom, you know, she gets a little scared. And so, so for the sake of your mom, better be in bed, you know. And I started thinking, what is that? <laughs> I mean, why would I not say, thank God that he gave us your mom, or we would all be dead by now? <laughs> why would I not say that? Why did I do this macho thing? Well, you know, the women... Yeah, the women don't know about fishing. We know about fishing, but the women don't. So, yeah, better. I'm being unfaithful. I'm being unfaithful to her. How, 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 do we, how do we cure this? I tell you real simply. It's not by behavioral improvement. You don't get saved by behavioral improvement, and you don't get holy by behavioral improvement. I've tried that behavior modification stuff. It lasts about a day and a half with me. Doesn't work. It's a change of character. 
And the only way you can have a change of character is to get a new character in your life, that character being the character of Jesus. And God's given us exactly that, to come close to him, to concentrate on him. That's what I told us last week. We just need to concentrate and come close to Christ. And by coming close to Christ, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we will become more and more like him, step by step. We, we, we naturally grow away from Christ. We forget what it's like. I, uh, I heard a story. I'll, I'll quit here. I know, I know we're almost done. But I heard a story about a, a little girl whose mother had had a brand new baby. This little girl's five years old. And her mother had a brand new baby. And, and she kept asking her mom, let me be alone with the baby just for a little while. Well, her mother was a little bit alarmed. She'd heard about sibling rivalry. She didn't know what the little girl had planned. But the little girl kept, kept after her. You know, just, I just want to talk to her for a little while, just alone. So finally, the mother planned that she could go in the room with the door open, and her mother would just be right outside listening. And so she said, okay, sissy, you can go in. And this little five-year-old goes in. And, and peeks at the newborn baby through the bars, and she says, Baby, tell me what it's like to be close to God. I'm almost five years old, and I'm starting to forget. We start off close to God. And when we come to Christ, we are at one with God. But as time goes on, we grow distant both from him and those we love. The cure is to get back with him. Pray with me now. <clears throat> God, thank you that you have given us the solution in Jesus Christ. And it's not a behavioral solution. It is an intimacy solution. It is a relationship solution. So help us to come on back. And help us not to do it as a task or as a chore, but as a joy. Give us what we need to get back close. We can't do it ourselves. You've got to do it for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a song that Tim and Teresa and Janice said we just had to do when I was here. But it is a song appropriate to this morning. What is going to make me long for God? Just like the psalmist said, my soul longs and faints for the living God. This is a kind of a this is kind of an island song this morning. So watch out, there might be some island things in the middle of it. Maybe we should stand for this song. In the Bible, King David said. 
beautiful place to be. What a beautiful place to be. What a beautiful place to be. No good thing will it keep from me. On the chorus, what's gonna make me long for you? What's gonna make me wants you to remember that the solution is not as terrible as a problem. As a matter of fact, the solution is great and it's joyful. So remember that part. Now remember, we've got, I know I've, ran, I've run over here, we've got the prayer team down here. Anybody needs to pray, you let them pray with you. And um, here's the benediction. And my God shall supply all your needs 
according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You don't need to go anyplace else to profit. You don't need to go to the other relationships than the ones that God's given you to profit. He shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen.